prove it. Two words, prove it. Words that I hear coming from our backyard on occasion when the boys are out playing, shooting hoops, playing horse or pig or cow or whatever it is. Prove it. I'm out there playing with them. I enjoy it. And again, you get to the last shot. The one has scored uh, or has spelled out the whole word and they will yell at the other one. Now prove it. What are they saying? Make it again. Prove it. Prove that you can make the same shot one more time and this game is going to be over. Prove it. We hear from the backyard. On a more serious note, a husband looks at his wife or a wife to her husband and says, do you love me? Well, of course I do. Prove it. What are they saying? Show me. Prove to me that you love me. But on the most serious note, people at times are tempted to look at God and to say, God, do you love me? Prove it. What's the answer that God is going to give? How is he going to prove it? Well, the answer is right there in our scripture reading tonight in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. I want you to see this verse is very, uh, very special, one that we need to keep in mind always. But the Bible says here that God demonstrates. Demonstrates is the word. Behind it is the meaning, prove it. God proves His love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how He proves His love to us. Of interest, that word is not a past tense word. Do you see how it's translated in your copy of God's Word? It is not that God demonstrated His love while we were yet sinners in giving His Son. It is a, a word that denotes continuous action. So he, he continues to prove His love through the sacrifice of Jesus. Also in that same verse is the idea, the fact behind it, that we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so God's love through the generation continues to be proven through the sacrifice of Jesus. But in the same verse, while we were yet sinners, also is ongoing. And so you have sin of man that continues to exist. And you have the love of God that continues to exist. It's as if there is a battle being waged between man's sin and God's love. Who wins? God does. God's love wins. He continues to prove His love for us through the cross. All of this that we're talking about through this series of sermons, all is going to point back to the cross and the benefits that we find in the cross. It is how God proves His love to us and will for as many generations as He wants to allow. It will always prove His love for mankind. The cross always is going to be the answer. And so tonight, what I want to do as we continue through this uh, series of lessons together is to look at the idea, the word, reconciliation. This morning, the word was propitiation. And I said I heard it twice this morning, which was twice more than maybe, maybe we've heard it in the last six weeks or six months. Reconciliation, though, is a term that we're more familiar with, aren't we? It's not so foreign to us, and we have an idea of what it means. You want its definition? Well, here you go. The definition of reconciliation is to make friends again. That's how you and I would think about it. If you're making a list of these words and their definitions, I would offer that that's a good definition for you to write down. To make friends 
again. And do not leave off the word again. But more formally, the definition of reconciliation is to change or exchange. Now, how is it that to change or exchange fits with to make friends again? And when you pause and you give it two seconds of thought, you see how they fit together, right? You see that, that when you uh, are a friend and you become an enemy, you have changed that condition. You've changed that relationship. And what you need to do is to make friends again. You need to exchange. You need to go back. You need to make a change and go back to the way things were. And so we find this definition working out to make friends again. Tonight I want to look at reconciliation and what it is that we're dealing with and how exactly this takes place. And so we look in this context of Romans chapter 5, which Brian read for us a moment ago, and we look at those verses, verses 8 through 10 especially, and we see a series of contrasts. Let's begin by looking at some of the negative terms in this context. Notice in your copy of God's Word, and you'll have uh, different words perhaps, but they're going to have very close association. And what you find is that Paul is writing this letter to Christians and he is going to use words like we and us. What he's saying is, I'm not above this condition. I'm not any different than you are. I'm not in any less need of the benefits of the cross than anybody else. And so in this context, he's going to include himself and he will use the words we and us. But as you go through it, you see in verse number 8, God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, this word sinners, we are, uh, again, those in need of saving because we have sinned. And so he, he points out this term. You go on to verse number 9. And he says, we are those sinners who are deserving of wrath. God's wrath against us. Jesus has saved us from that, but we are deserving of God's wrath. And the most striking term that he will use in this context, the most condemning word, in a context where he has called people weak, ungodly, sinners, deserving of wrath, the most strong word he will use is the word enemies in verse 10. You are enemies of God. You were enemies of God. That's where we once found ourselves. It is closely connected to the sinners. It's closely connected to the weak, those without strength. It's closely connected to the ungodly. But this is a very strong and powerful word. You are enemies of God in your sin. That's the relationship that you find yourself in if you remain in sin. However, to those that Paul is writing, including himself, he says... That's not where we find ourselves now. That's where we once did, and those might still find themselves there who are not in a right relationship with God. But on a very positive side, offering the contrast, he says something has taken place. When we were enemies, we were, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And so we were enemies, but now, he says, we have been reconciled. How should I react to that? Do you see the words in verse 11? Do you see how I should react to the fact that we are reconciled to God? That we are made to be friends again with God? The joy and rejoicing in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received 
the reconciliation. Brethren and friends, we are talking about a triumph term of triumph terms. This is the idea of reconciliation, of being right with God, of not being right with God, and being right with God again. Only the cross allows this to take place. And so tonight, I want us to consider what it is we're dealing with tonight as we begin, or kind of now getting into it, three implications of reconciliation. Just by looking at the term and its definition of what the Bible has to say about it, the first implication that we can get out of reconciliation is that there was a time when we were all friends with God. If the very definition of reconciliation is to make friends again, what does that imply? It implies we were right with God at one time, doesn't it? That there was a time in our lives, all of us here, when we were right with God. We need to be reminded of this. I'm not going to belabor this point because I preached on the age of accountability not so long ago. But I want to remind us that we are not born guilty. We are not born in sin. We are not born guilty of sin. We are not born uh, with that guilt held against us by God. Ezekiel said in chapter 18 and verse 20, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon the righteous, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself or the wicked. And so I'm guilty for my sin, and only my sin. I don't stand in need of being forgiven for my father's sin. I just need to stand in forgiveness of mine. And so we see that taking place. I'm not born uh, guilty of uh, Adam's sin. I don't bear the guilt of his sin. We, we live in a world where sin is going to take place, but I'm not guilty of that guy's sin in the beginning. Right. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Now, what about Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4? You remember Jesus calls a child into his midst? And he tells the audience there around him that he says, unless you are converted and become as one of these little ones, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, you need to humble yourself as one of these children. Again, do you get the picture in your mind as you get that scene with kids around Jesus? Do you get the idea in your mind that those children are his enemy? And that he is saying, you are my enemy, you're against me? No way. He says, no, you need to be like one of these little ones. You need to be like one of these young people if you're going to be saved. And so you're not my enemy, these young people. You're not my enemy. He's saying you become an enemy. But there is a time when you are born and a time through your young life when God does not hold you accountable for your sin. You are not held accountable for your actions, again, in the eyes of God. Now, that's going to change at some point, and it's going to be a different change for uh, different ones. But we find that there is a time when all of us are right with God. And those without uh, big abilities uh, intellectually are going to remain friends with God for their whole lives. That's just the way it is, the way the Bible lays it out for us. So that's one of the implications. The second implication, though, is there is a time, most people, when they reach that accountable age, when God will hold them accountable for sin, that uh, they will be estranged or separated from God. And, and so we see this taking place. And so there is a time when we are right with God, and we will reach a point in our lives, most of us, when we will not be right with God, when that relationship will be strained through what? Sin. That's what sin does. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. It separates one from God. 
And so that relationship now becomes estranged. Or estranged. And so we see this taking place. And now we need to understand and get our minds around this. James chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself what? An enemy of God. And so I don't want to be friends with the world, but there is a time in our lives where we choose to go into sin and we separate ourselves from God. That's a very uh, implication of this idea of reconciliation. There is a time when we are estranged from God, when we are separated from Him. This third idea, though, needs to be brought out, doesn't it? That's what we're talking about. The third implication of reconciliation is that God has provided a way for there to again be harmony with Him. There is a way for that relationship to be restored. So we are born in a right condition with God. We reach a point in our lives where we are separated from Him because of our sinful action. But God has provided a way for us to be right again. Friends, again. That's exactly what he's talking about in Romans chapter 5 with these Christians, isn't it? You were estranged, but now, in your, because of your sin, now, you, through Christ, you have received the reconciliation. Now, you are friends again with Jesus. Now, we see this throughout the letters, uh, the epistles that Paul would write and others. He would write in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1 to Christians. He'd say, Some, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you have been made alive. And you drop down to verse number 13, and uh, again, he says, You once were afar off, but now you've been brought near. You've been made friends. Turn over in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Ephesians talking about Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles being far away, uh, Jews being close. But notice this, these, this word, wording over in Colossians chapter 1, uh, dropping down to verse number 19. Paul writing to these Christians in Colossae says, For it pleased the Father that in Him, that is in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. And by Him, that is by Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He is reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now just, just take a look at the text, will you, for a second? Will you just notice what he's saying here? Will you see that he's writing to those over in chapter 1 and verse 2 that he calls saints and faithful brethren? Will you be reminded that later on in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he says that you all are now in the kingdom of the Son of His love, that you have received redemption, the forgiveness of sin through the blood of Jesus. And now further down in chapter 1, he says, y'all who once were alienated by your wicked works have now been reconciled to God. Now through the cross... You have been reconciled. Paul, will you just put it plainly? Will you tell me what I've got? Will you show me plainly what the benefit is of the cross? Sure I will. It's peace. That's what I'm providing. No longer do you have to be separated from God. No longer do you have to be an enemy of God. Now you can be friends again where there is peace. 
Doesn't that sound okay to you? That sounds great. I want to be at peace with God. I want to be friends again with God. And brethren, that's exactly what the cross does. I want to be reminded of this. You know, this old world gets hard. And I get down. And I get depressed. And again, things happen in life and and we find ourselves struggling to get through sometimes. And I want to be reminded that at the end of the day, I can be at peace with God. I have been reconciled because of the blood of Jesus and I am right with God. Now, before we close tonight, I want to look at one more passage. I want you to turn in your Bibles over, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I again want to bring out what Paul lays out for us here. Begin reading in in verse 17. And Paul, writing to these Christians in Corinth, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... That God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. There's some wonderful truth to bring out. I'll just do a little bit of unpacking. But don't miss this, please. Brethren and friends, reconciliation takes place only because of Jesus. Don't you get this wrong in your mind? Don't you get to thinking too highly of yourself? That, hey, everybody wants to be my friend. Everybody wants to be my friend. You know, I I am so well-liked and I'm such a good guy. I'm such a good lady. You know, everybody wants to be friends with me. Why wouldn't God want to be friends with me? I'm wonderful. You may be wonderful, but your sin separated you from God. And you need Jesus. You needed Jesus. And that's the only way you're going to be right with God. It's the only way that you're going to be right You see there in verses 18 and 19, how is God reconciling people to himself? He's only doing it through the cross. That's his only way of doing it. And so unless we meet the benefits of the cross, there's no way for us who have been estranged from God to be right with him again. It's only through the cross. Don't kid yourself. That's the only way this takes place. That's what Paul is saying and making it very clear. He is also making it clear that if you die outside of Christ, if you die outside of a right relationship with God, you're not going to be with Him. Please don't think me harsh or unloving to say such a thing. But isn't that exactly what Paul is making clear here? That you cannot die separated from God. You've got to be friends with Him. That is, you've got to be in a right relationship with Him. Those old things have passed away. All things have become new. You were outside of Christ. Now you find yourself in Christ. You were separated from God. And now you've been reconciled. And you must be if you want to go to heaven. It's necessary, my friends. If Paul were standing 
in this area tonight, then wouldn't that be great? But if he were standing up here tonight, what would his message be? What's he saying? He's saying we, the apostles, we as teachers, we have been given the instructions, have been given the word of reconciliation. And so Paul is saying to these Christians, listen, it's as if God himself is speaking directly to you. And he says, I am imploring, I'm begging you to be reconciled. If Paul were standing in my place tonight, and I wish he were, he would beg you to be reconciled. Why would you not want to be? And why would you delay? You must be in a right relationship with God. If you have reached that age where your sin has separated you from God and you have never made that relationship right through the blood of Jesus, Paul says, you must, I implore you. And so do I. But also in this text, we learn something very special. And that is reconciliation can only take place because of Jesus and his qualifications. And so we ask, what are the qualifications? What makes Jesus qualified to offer us reconciliation? Well, Paul, you tell me that in verse number 21, don't you? You tell me what qualifies Jesus to offer this reconciliation. He is the one who knew no sin. He is the one without sin. It's His perfect sacrifice that allows us to be reconciled to God, isn't it? He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22. And so God takes Him who, who knew no sin to be sin for us. New King James says later on there in verse number 21. And some have debated about this, and I really don't understand it. But what they're saying is, what does that mean? Does that mean that God actually made Jesus to be sin in the sense that he became a sinner? Well, that can't be right, can it? Jesus can't become a sinner and offer perfect blood. That doesn't make any sense. And so what does Paul say? Paul is saying that he, knew, he made him who was sinless, who was perfect, who committed no sin to be our sin offering. What did he do? I don't appreciate it enough. I know I don't. But I'll tell you what he did. He took my sin and he bore it on his body on the tree. Isn't that what Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 24? He bore my sin in his body on the tree. And that's the only way that I can be reconciled because of his perfect blood and his willingness to bear my sin to Calvary. And in so doing, he allows God to look at me as righteous. Don't kid yourself. You'll never earn it. And you don't deserve it. You don't deserve heaven. You've not earned it. It's not anything you can do. But Jesus, in his righteousness, is able to take me, a sinner... And allow God to look at me as righteous. That's what he's able to do. As I strive to obey him. As I strive to walk in the light. As I strive to do those things that are pleasing in his sight. God looks down and he sees the blood of his son continuing to cleanse me from sin. And he sees me as righteous. The benefits of the cross. 
You'll never earn it or deserve it. But through Jesus, we have the ability to be reconciled to God. Tonight, will you understand what we're talking about very plainly? That in this relationship between God and I, God never moved. That God is constant and He will stay exactly where He is. And for that relationship to be broken, I had to move. You had to move. It was your sin that separated you from God. God didn't have to. Though He didn't move, He provided a way for me to come back, to be reconciled. Brother Wendell Winkler illustrated reconciliation one time in this way great gospel preacher of the past. He said a boy was lying on his deathbed in a hospital and his estranged parents were at his side. One father on one side and his mother on the other side. And in his closing moments of life, he reached out and grabbed the hand of his father and he reached out and grabbed the hand of his mother And he brought them together, and he said, Will you be reconciled? After his death, they were. Today, it's as if Jesus is reaching out for the hand of his Father, and with his blood-washed hand, he is reaching out to hopeless, helpless Mankind. And he says, you can be friends again. Through his death, we can be friends again. Where are you tonight? Where do you find yourself in relationship with God? Are you friends with God again? As one who has separated yourself from him, have you made it right? Have you come back? Tonight, if you find yourself separated from God, why would you stay there? Why would you remain in that condition? Jesus has done everything He can do for you to come back and be right with God. Would you take advantage of this opportunity tonight? Friend, if you've never obeyed the gospel, if you've never taken hold of that hand, won't you tonight? believing Jesus Christ to be the Son of God, with a willingness to confess your faith in Him as the Son of God before others, with a willingness to repent of sin in your life and to be buried in the waters of baptism, meeting that blood that will cleanse you from your sin and break you reconciled to God tonight, why would you wait? If we can help you, please come. While together we stand and sing.